0: Hello
1: everyone and welcome back to the Forgecast, my name is Sam Towns
2: And I'm Alex Norton
1: and unfortunately, Nils couldn't be with us for this episode. He's still very busy getting his workshop set up, as you would know if you, watch it, if you look at his Instagram. And if you uh, don't, you should. Absolutely. But uh, before we get into the show, let's take a minute to
2: thank our sponsors. Today's sponsor is Gamaco Artisan Supplies, the place to go for your blade steels, forge kits and burners. And they're offering a very special deal to our Australian listeners. If you're hearing this, use the code forgecast Ten. That's forgecast10, all one word, to get 10% knocked off your order of gas forge burners and accessories or blacksmith tools. This is a limited time offer for our listeners only, so if you've been holding off on doing an order through them, now's the time. Get on it. Certain item exclusions apply, and we're working on a deal for our overseas listeners too, so stay tuned. And Back to the show.
1: Right, so uh, how's your week been, Alex? What have you been up to?
2: Uh, busy, busy, busy. Still trying to catch up on orders after having the horrendous man flu um, and using it as a bit of an opportunity since there's so many knives coming through the order queue uh, to try and up my knife game. And it's getting there. It's it's a slow journey, but I'm trying to uh, focus on one thing at a time. And currently it's handling. Um, uh, this has always been a weak point for me. So I um, have been trying to up that game slowly and uh, working with some fun materials, <coughs> Burl, which uh, mm-hmm. is an unstabilized Burl as well, which is <laughs> um, because
1: all kinds of fun.
2: Because I have a background in carpentry, there's a lot of tricks you can do to sort of semi-stabilize it um, while you're working it. It will never be as good as a stabilized burl, but it's it's uh, still a process, and it comes out looking quite nice in the end. I'm um, working with a beautiful piece of Mallee burl at the moment, um, which I always thought Mallee burl really makes the colors of brass pop beautifully, mm. uh, more Absolutely. so than almost any other wood. And so um I had to pair it with brass and it's it's looking quite nice so it's been fun but it's been taking up quite a bit of my week um to get this one done and uh, I rolled out another couple of orders but uh, I'm almost gotten on top of it and hoping to be able to round out this week with a uh, you know just one my one last order which is a bulk order um of pry bars so that next week I can just focus on getting all of those pry bars done and dusted so that I can be back to having some Personal project time, which uh, as everyone everyone knows, I've been working on trying to assemble a treadle hammer and it's just been Mm. sitting looking sad in my workshop, half assembled for uh, like three weeks now. And (laughs) I really want to get it working. Um, I also want to mount that beautiful 340 pound um, Sawyer's anvil uh, and Mm. and regrind the face and put that to work because I think that's going to lead to some really fun forging sessions. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's also going to be coming as soon as I actually have some spare bloody time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't even know the meaning of the word. Yeah, uh, that's right.
2: Yeah. But it's pretty much just, you know, work, 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 making money, turn out orders. It's uh, not, not been an interesting week, but it's been a productive week. How about you?
1: Well, it's always good to be busy, uh, and I certainly have been busy. <laughs> Um So those of uh, my followers who, or those of the listeners who follow me on YouTube and Instagram and stuff like that will have seen that uh, late last week, just after we recorded the Forgecast, actually, I did a glue up on that bowie knife that I've been working on for a while with some beautiful stabilized greenstone Bell from uh, Mark. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, I had to bust it off. I actually had to cut that off, my, off the
2: knife. It was so and painful that, to watch. Oh,
1: it, it broke my heart. It, it literally did. Um, uh, when, I, when I took it out of the clamp and it was, uh, I, I could see the gap. <laughs> I could see the gap from across the room. Uh, uh, yeah.
2: Your knife was had that hummering. London look.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's it, my <mate. laughs> True, true Brit. True Brit. But... Um, yeah. So, um, I ended up having to bust that handle off and, uh, spent the day moping around, throwing things around the workshop, being angry. Um, <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I've, I've re-glued that. I've, uh, put a new handle on it. Another piece of Mally Burl, but this one is rib fruit Mally Burl, uh, which is a slightly golden color compared to the, uh, red of the greenstone malle. Mm. Um, it looks beautiful so I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to finishing that up. I actually started grinding on it the other day Along with a couple other knives, which I've been working on as well. A San Mai, which is mild steel and file steel San Mai that I did for a uh, live stream ages ago and um, The wrought iron and file steel uh, sacks that I made at the medieval reenactment event the billet that I made and then forged in a live stream uh, I've handled that up as well with some Cypress heart that you sent me.
0: Right. Um, yeah.
1: So that's that was a nice really bit of wood. Yeah, it's it's a terrific bit of wood. It uh, smells beautiful when I'm when you're cutting it and drilling it and stuff. So. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So I spent an entire day texturing bronze guards and fitting up guards and fitting handle materials and epoxying handle materials. That was <laughs> that was a whole day of fun. Uh, but I've also been working on a really big project for my YouTube channel. It's um, one of the first of my YouTube channel's videos to feature forge welding. Um, I've done a couple bit of forge welding in the past, but nothing on a project, so to speak. Uh, this one is going to be a uh, Damascus and my, uh straight razor. So... Yeah. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's going to be using the um, case-hardened uh, file and mild steel billet that we made in the How to Make Damascus video series um, around some 52100 bearing steel.
2: Um, and I saw your um, Bogan-built uh, hollow grind <laughs> setup.
1: The, the radius platen, yeah. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah well, I don't, I don't have a contact
1: wheel on my on, for my grinder, um, and I can't afford one right now, so... In place of that, I decided to make a radius platen, which isn't the best method because it creates a lot of friction, it creates a lot of heat in the platen, Um, but it is a good, it's a good option if you don't have a, a contact wheel. So I was using that today. It's done some spectacular hollow grinds. I am really looking forward to finishing this up. We were, I was grinding on it today, filming today. Hopefully it'll be finished by mid next week. And, uh, it'll be up for Wednesday. So, yeah, um, th- that'll be Wednesday. Just go on when this episode comes up. Mm. But, yeah, so, uh, that's been a lot of fun. It's going to get an antler handle. It's, uh, it's looking brilliant.
2: So is this going to be, like, an English pattern folding straight razor?
1: Yes. Yeah, it's going to be an English pattern folding. Uh, actually, Mick Andrews, the, my striker, my home, my housemate and stuff like that, he's actually, uh, deemed to, uh, to buy it from me. So... He's going to be paying that off
2: over the next uh, six years.
0: Just goes to show that
2: uh, <laughs> great minds think alike, because I've, I've actually got a straight razor in the works as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, other than that, just been working really
1: hard trying to get everything out of the way.
2: Catch up on lost time after you're back.
1: Yeah, that's been the hard part. You know, I lost, I lost close to, well, over a month, um, Laid up with my back. So, you know, trying to get back on top of orders and trying to get back into that headspace of, you know, do the thing, get out to the workshop every day and work. Mm. Uh, and thank you to my inspiration of the week, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, thanks to him, I, I was able to get back to it. So nice. Yeah.
2: All right. You can roll right into it if you want. Well, yeah, there we go.
1: Uh, so, for our second inspiration of the week. Uh, now, I know I'm going to cop a little bit of flack from some people. Uh, my inspiration this week is uh, a little bit of a, uh, I can't even think of the word. Controversial. <laughs> Controversial. There we go. Controversial character in the blacksmithing community. Um,
2: divisive.
1: He is incredibly divisive. And it's, there are is there reasons for the divisiveness of his character. And I think part of it is because he's moved away from what he used to be. Um so my inspiration for this week uh the person who gave me the impetus to get back to work and not only you know in my work kind of attitude but also in my life headspace in my attitude towards living um it's uh, Alex Steele so um <clears throat> I found myself really bored really annoyed really depressed um on Monday or Sunday night I think it was Sunday night and I was just watching YouTube videos like I always do, uh, when I'm, when I'm bored <laughs> and I happened to, to decide to watch, uh, Alex Steele's back to basic series again, where he made a, uh, an integral, uh, 1055 knife with only hand tools. And, um, yeah, during that series on the, in the seventh video about eight minutes in, um, he goes into detail about his thought process of surrounding, uh, failure and. You know the attitude towards failure and you know he basically was talking about the the fact that in life we only have certain things that we can leave behind and those things are you know the both physical manifestations of things that we've done you know artistic stuff like mm. blacksmiths make and also the the you know the interactions that we have with other people and we can either choose to take the time choose to redo something that we did wrong choose to aim for that higher peak, or we can just simply sit back, give up and and just, you know, say, nah, this is not for me. This is not, you know, those ideals aren't for me. I'm just going to settle for good enough, you know, and let those kind of higher echelons go. And uh, it it kind of just made me kind of think about where I was at at the time. And I'd kind of got to that stage with my, with the back issues and, uh, you know, my panic disorder coming back and all that kind of stuff. I had kind of given up. I I'd basically just let go of <laughs> let go of uh the idea that I was ever going to be anything or, you know, accomplish anything uh beyond what I'd already accomplished. So I wasn't trying anymore. I wasn't trying to make better stuff, I wasn't trying to improve my uh skills or anything like that. I just figured I'd waste away and die eventually, you know, people would forget me and whatever. And so that really kicked my ass and, you know, really hit home for me. So I couldn't help but uh, have him as my inspiration for the week. Uh, I don't agree with a lot of the stuff that he's done recently, you know, the, the corporatization and the higher focus on entertainment over education. Um, And obviously his back basic series was back in the day when he was in the second workshop after Barker street. Um, And I think, you know, there has been a progression in his attitude Throughout, like when he was in Barker Street, he was very humble, and then when he was in the new shop, he was getting a lot more energetic, a lot more positive and proactive. And then, you know, now he's in America, he's kind of got to the stage where it's more about the money than about than about the work, uh, or at least that's the the kind of sense that I get from the videos. Um, but yeah, so it's it's interesting that you know it would come out of there. But he did do a lot of good things for the blacksmithing community. He still does. Uh, even though we might not agree with his content, he brings in you know thousands of people who would otherwise millions of other people that would otherwise not know about blacksmithing or not care about blacksmithing. yeah he makes them interested and you know
0: that's
1: although most of, of
2: yeah
1: well, that 's it most of although most of them stop there and they kind of watch Alex Steele and they think that 's all that they need to see. There are a fair few people who kind of watch him and then kind of go. I would love to give that a shot, but Alec doesn't really teach you anything, so you've got to go to find other people, and then they go to John Switzer, and they go to Roy, Roy Adams, Daniel Kyle Royer, Ross. Daniel Moss, myself, yourself, uh, and they find things like the Forgecast. I'm sure that we've got a listener out there who started watching blacksmithing by starting to watch Alex Steele. Mm. You know, I, I almost guarantee it. Uh, there's someone out there whose first blacksmithing experience, or at least one of, one of their first, was Alex Steele. So, you know, what, whatever your views on the man are, and, you know, whatever your opinions of his, you know, work recently are, you can't deny that he has brought blacksmithing into the light, um, you know, as lo- uh, along with, you know, man-at-arms and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, uh, he's, he is an inspirational character, not just for the p- purpose of, you know, what we, what we see on the, on the screen. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. How about yourself, Alex
2: who's your probably, inspiration for this week I'm probably going to cop flack for who mine is as well
0: because
2: <laughs> um, they've, they've kind of already, already played this card which kind of makes you know minimises what I'm about to say a little bit however it no less uh, no less uh, sincerity in it because uh, my inspiration for the week is you big fudge <laughs> I what as ever I, did I do As I mentioned, I've been trying to up my knife game lately and um, the knife project that I'm working on at the moment, I wanted to really focus on having a nice handle. Um, And I must have gone through four gorgeous pieces of wood trying to make a handle. (laughs) And I'm, I'm not somebody that really gets burnt out easily. And I got to the point where I did a really bad mess up on like the f- third piece, and I was at the point where I felt myself wanting to actually throw my tools and just like give in or you know start over and like make a different knife with a, a full like it's a, it's a hidden tang so I wanted to maybe yep. like start the project over and do a full tang just because I'm I'm comfortable with full tangs and you know yep. ha- handling full tangs and things like that and I actually thought of. The recent hardship that you went through with your glue-up. And for anybody that has not yet realised, Sam is on a path to eventually one day be a master smith. Wanting to make knives that are just perfect. Uh, You know, lack of a better (laughs) definition. As,
1: As close to it as I can possibly get.
2: And I had been watching um kyle royer has been doing a great series on his youtube channel recently with um various aspects and things and the, the part that i got stuck on was mine has a um not an integral bolster but a, a separate bolster for anyone new to knife making it's actually a, a part of the handle that slides onto the the uh, up and over the tang first and then the handle goes up underneath it um and it was all supposed to uh supposed to work out and i thought i'd done everything perfectly and um that was the original design and i'd put so much work into getting a snug fit and everything following carl's um videos and if i know carl listens to the show so thanks for those videos they're awesome i'm not as good as you and i just lost it <laughs> i couldn't i couldn't do it i i just couldn't and after attempt number 3 I just lost it and very nearly, like I said, gave up and I thought about Sam and I thought about his journey and he is many years forward. I don't ever want to be a master smith when it comes to knife making. It's not, <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a goal of mine, but I like making beautiful things and I like being proud of the things that I make and I, I'm proud of everything that I've ever sold. If, if I'm not proud of it, I don't sell it. It's simple as that and that's why I had done it over and wasted these hugely beautiful pieces of wood and brass and things that i had in my workshop because I wanted this thing to be beautiful. And I was putting so much effort into getting it beautiful. And I thought about Sam who has not had the easiest time of things in the last few months. I don't know if you guys have been following his story much. He's got a lot of reasons why that blew up faux pas Should have by, you know, nobody would have blamed him if they knew the full story, blamed him throwing the entire assembly through his workshop window and calling it quits. It was bloody tempting, I'll tell you. (laughs) But instead of that, like he he sent me a message when it happened. He's like, do you want to see a photo of my heart shattering? And I'm like, oh, God, what's happened? (laughs) And he sent me the photo and the mistake was so small. I actually had to spend a little time looking at the photo to work out what it was. And then I saw it, and I realized, you know, that's, like, good enough in Alex's world, but I know that, <laughs> that that gap may as well be the size of the Grand Canyon in Sam's world, and in, like, Kyle Royer's world, it may as well be the distance between Earth and Mars. So, <laughs> that's true. Like, that was... And, and my carpentry background made me recognize how gorgeous that piece of burl was. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And Sam didn't chuck the entire assembly through the window. I'm sure, I have no doubt that there were some very choice words <laughs> at the time. Uh, uh, a ma- few. But Sam not only fixed it, but he did it live. <laughs> he turned it into a live stream to actually educate people about, you know, what you do when you're you done fuck up. It happens no matter how much you prepare, no matter how much you practice, no matter how much how good you get. And Sam's good. Sam's really good. And he's an inspiration to me with my knife-making journey all the time. But sometimes mistakes happen. Sometimes you twist the clamp a little bit too tight and snap the tip. Sometimes you don't quench it just right. Sometimes you put hours of work into forging something that you're super proud of when the Ting Fairy visits you. Sometimes you mm-hmm. mess up the glue-up and here i was with just a relatively simple knife by knife maker standards especially the standards of someone like sam and i was having a bit of a hissy fit about my little piddly problem and i thought of all of this while i was sitting there on my wood cutting stump feeling sorry for myself and it honestly made me get back up and go in and have another go and i got it i got it right and it looks bloody great it's actually turned into a hand the, the handle that like the knife itself is it's nice it's not great it's nice but the handle is absolutely bloody spectacular by my standards <laughs> you know for, no, what, no, it looks for, great. for no, what i've, I can I've do. seen the photo <laughs> and i've just been holding it all afternoon because it feels so nice it's smooth it's glossy it's it's beautiful to look at it catches the light And I'm proud of it and I never would have done it. I would have actually chucked the whole thing in and reforged the knife to do a a full tang uh, just so that I could do a handle that I'm comfortable with if it wasn't for that inspiration that I got. So I wanted to actually throw that out there. Sammy Boy is my inspiration for the week and that's why.
1: Well, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, I can have a positive effect in the world. I, I tell that to a lot of people who tell me that, you know, they've, they've gained some information or gained some inspiration from me. It's like, it blows me away because I'm, I'm like, ah, I'm not that inspirational. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I'm just a, a ball of fuck-ups with, a, with occasional, you know, good points. Um, but no, I, I'm, I'm really glad that, you know, that that helped you get back on that track. And that's exactly why I did it live. It yeah. was that, you know, I, I, I needed, well, A, it was I needed to share that moment with someone because it was killing me, <laughs> but also it's, it is that lesson. And I mean, um, it's funny because a couple of days after, Mert Tansu, who's a kitchen knife maker uh, from here in Australia, fantastic kitchen knife maker. This guy is a freaking beast. Uh, he actually had three knife handles fail all on the same blade.
2: Oh, jeez. Right?
1: He put up a photo on his story on Facebook of three shattered handles and they were all stabilized, you know, like high quality timbers. It was like the day after I'd smashed mine off. (laughs) And I was like, you know, Hey, here's this guy who makes kitchen knives for a living. He's done it for a long time. He's internationally renowned and he's making the same mistake I am. And you know, he's getting through it. He's a bit pissed off with himself, but you know, that's the important thing. So I figured it was really important for people to see that, You know, despite what I may show on my Instagram and, you know, my my YouTube, although I try and show my mistakes anyway, um, it's not as easy as it looks. And I do screw up all the time. And, you know, it's it's easy to fall off the horse and kind of go, no, I'm not getting back up there. Screw that. That hurt. I'm not doing that again. (laughs) But no, you got to get back up there.
2: That's it. I mean, there's an old saying that there's no such thing as losing. You win or you learn absolutely
1: that's a that's a favorite saying of mine that you've you've uh, you've taught me so yeah absolutely awesome well um, that's our inspirations for this week and uh, I believe before we go into tool time we have a viewer question
2: or viewer email we do and it's from Nate Winkler listener sorry I keep saying viewer I'm sure he views his device screen while he's listening (laughs) With the awesome photos we put up. Absolutely. Anyway, Nate says, Hey guys, really enjoy the podcast. I had a question about oxyacetylene torches. I have a propane Venturi forge currently, but when working a single piece, I find the torch to be much faster at heating. Made me wonder if anyone makes oxyacetylene forges. Is that a thing? If no, then why not? I know it burns much hotter and there's more risk of burning, but other than that, is there a good reason one couldn't build an oxyacetylene forge? The only reason I can think of is the price of fuel, but haven't done the calculations to compare costs. Any insights you have at all would be helpful, Nate. So <sighs> you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there, mate. It's um, Oxyacetylene torches are fantastic for uh, you can either cut through metal if you don't use plasma cutters very often, um, or you can heat very precisely across your steel and because you're only mm. ever you that's the main use of them is, is very precise heating of steel uh, Absolutely. And because you're only ever heating things precisely it means you're heating very small areas at once and when you're heating very small areas at once it means you only use a little bit of fuel so you can justify the cost of uh, buying acetylene <laughs> which is an oxygen which is not cheap now uh, a full forge heats large areas of steel depending on the size of the forge obviously um, mm. but uh, an average size, even a small, um, LPG forge will run off at the very least a little 20 kilo gas bottle, um, and an LPG I gas bottle. And oh, there you go. So, I mean, yeah,
1: as my, my big forge runs off eight and a half kilo bottles and I get about five hours
2: out of a bottle, five to six hours of forging out and, of a bottle. And really that costs you what? 18 bucks, 20 bucks to fill.
1: 20 bucks, yeah. Uh, They've just upped their price to $23, but, you Mm. know,
2: yeah. Now, if you were to get five hours worth of forging time from an oxyacetylene mix, even down very low, which you would have to if you had an oxyacetylene torch in there, um, that would not cost you 20 bucks.
1: Absolutely not. A little
2: bit more than 20 bucks.
1: Even, like, you know, because obviously acetylene bottles, you can get the really, really small ones, but they're not going to do anything for a forge. And the other thing is, is that with an oxyacetylene kit with, with the torch, you're using a very, very small jet and you're using a very, very small flame. So you're using high-ish pressure, but you're using fairly low volume. Whereas for a large forge, you're going to need to up that volume quite a bit in order mm. to gain enough uh, thermal mass in the forge body to heat up the, the area. So you're going to have to like quadruple or quintuple your acetylene use. In the forge. The other thing is, acetylene burns really dirty. Um, Mm. LPG burns incredibly clean. And while acetylene gives off more BTUs of heat per gram than LPG does, um, the acetylene requires oxygen in order to burn fiercely enough to to heat steel. That's why you need an oxyacetylene kit. Uh, I think a Venturi fed acetylene forge would. Probably do just about the same as a gas, an LPG forge, to be honest. So you'd actually be spending more money for exactly the same process.
2: And I'm gonna, um, uh, I'm gonna do the role of Sam uh, here <laughs> because I am actually a huge physics nerd. Something that the listeners may not know about. Um, and there is a, a thought experiment in physics uh, d- that explains how heat works uh, very, very well. And the thought experiment is if you were to create a hollow cube that is made of solid tungsten and the walls of the cube are a meter thick, so about three feet thick, and inside this hollow cube, you put a normal electric hairdryer. And let's just assume that it has a power source in there that is infinite. And you just turn that hairdryer on. A hairdryer blows air that's about, I think it's only about 35 or 40 degrees, the air from a hairdryer. But because it's inside a sealed tungsten cube, there is no way for heat transfer, like a cooling effect of of a heat sink. So that heat that you are blowing that's only 35 or 40 degrees has nowhere where it can go, which means after a while the inside of that tungsten cube will be so hot that it will actually melt said tungsten cube um, just from a 35 degree hairdryer. And it's just because the heat can't escape. Now, if you're still following with me and haven't gone to sleep yet, forges work kind of similar. That's why you put refractory around the outside of a gas forge because it holds the heat in. And you don't necessarily need to have a hotter burner to get a a more effective forge. You need to have better heat retention in your refractory or lining of your forge and have a nice constant and preferably cheap to run heat supply. You can actually you can actually see this work by building yourself a soup can forge. Alex Steele, Sam's inspiration of the week, did a <laughs> video on this. However, um, the my favorite video on that topic is from the original Nighthawk in Light, uh, who goes into the actual how it works a lot in a lot more detail. And you can get a very effective steel forging forge with a soup can, and uh, he I, I call it termite mound refractory mix. It's literally just plaster of Paris and sand, and yeah. In a very small area forge, like a soup can, it's incredibly effective at re- retaining heat. You wouldn't want to use it on a full-size gas forge because a the, the big LPG yeah. burner generates a bit more heat and it would just wear away after a while. Uh, the silicates wouldn't be able to keep up with it. But something like kale wool um, that's sealed with satanite, very effective. Yep. Um, and it holds the heat in such a way that it sort of acts like that tungsten cube. It doesn't let heat escape through the sides yeah. of the forge. And it channels it into a small area, and that means the heat builds up and up and up. So it's not just the burner at that stage that's providing heat anymore. The forge body itself is pumping heat into itself, into that core. So to think that using something that burns hotter than an LPG burner, a Venturi burner, will make a more effective forge is actually the wrong, you're thinking about the wrong aspect of a forge and how it works. What you need to focus on is better refractory. And just a yep. normal and a normal burner.
1: I've seen I've seen people use the Gamaco small burner. Like I use the big the Gamaco big burner, uh, the B-Kit four, I believe. And I've got a very thermally inefficient forge. It's got solid clay walls, like solid clay brick walls. Very heavy. This thing, you know, in total, it weighs about eighty five kilos. Mm-hmm. Uh, my forge, it's ridiculous, and it all heats up. So therefore. The refractive index is incredibly low, so it, it actually soaks up a lot more heat than it, you know, keeps in. Um, <clears throat> and I want to build a new one, but I've seen people make, uh, you know, nine kilo bottle, you know, gas bottle forges with the small burner. Uh, and actually, uh, Warren Baum, who's a fellow knife maker here in um, here in WA, he uses a nine kilo bottle with a small burner and he gets up to almost steel liquefying temperatures mm. because he uses a double layer of Keowool, layer of uh, you know, Satanite and he's got it set, uh, you know, set at an angle so he gets the vortex and he's got a back door which only has like a 50 cent piece hole in it and a front door that's got like a slot in it and so therefore it's got so much heat retention that yeah, we could we, we literally almost melt steel in it. Mm. Uh, and that was just running the uh, Venturi burner, little burner, off an eight and a half kilo bottle. Yeah. Um, So yeah, it is definitely all about the refractory. I will say there are some forges out there, and uh, foundries especially, especially, uh, Peter Burt, who we're planning on having on the show in the next couple of weeks, um, who makes woots, he is the woots king, he is absolutely fantastic at making woots. Uh, He uses a a diesel foundry, foundry, so Uh, His foundry starts up on LPG, or, you know, I think he uses propane because he's in America. And then once it gets up to heat, he switches over to diesel. And diesel has a higher BTU rate per gram than LPG does. It's also a hell of a lot cheaper. Uh, It's just that it takes a lot to get it ignited. So you need to get that preheat of the LPG before you can run the diesel. And that's a better way to get more efficiency out of your forge. And that's how he melts steel. (laughs) But yeah, um, the acetylene question is one that I've actually, uh, back in when I first started, I thought about that myself. But yeah, unfortunately, you wouldn't be able to run a Venturi burner and you probably would have to run oxy and acetylene. And that would just become prohibitively expensive and is completely needless. Uh, I mean, Jesus Hernandez has actually done a video uh, making a bloomery steel sax. where he actually melted, he burned part of the billet in his propane forge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he pulled it out of the pulled it out of the forge, and it was sparkling like it had just come out of the charcoal. So, um, quite yeah, a feat. It, it, yeah, well, it's, you know, it's all about that refractory, and you know, it's all about your pressures. He uses a blown LPG forge, I believe. Um, you know, so he has a blower on his mm-hmm. LP, on his um, propane. But yeah. Same thing. At the end of the day, you're all talking about the refractory, and you're talking about your your pressures and your uh, LPG volumes. At the end of the day, LPG is going to be way less expensive. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I, I yeah, I wouldn't recommend trying to make an acetylene forge.
2: Yeah, it's one of those things where there's a reason why everybody does it one way. Yeah, it's um yeah tried and true method. I mean i
1: I would love an oxyacetylene torch kit. Mm. Um, hey, for thanks. like bent Bending stuff and cutting stuff, you know, especially with the cutting torch head and tempering, uh, and tempering, and also, um, you know, twisting, you know, twisting Damascus and stuff. Yep, you can heat small sections of a of a bar and twist that specific section. Beautiful
2: riveting. Um,
1: yeah, I'm actually planning on getting an LPG uh, oxy LPG set, um, because LPG is ex- less expensive, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and also you need a license for acetylene here in Australia, so. It just becomes even more prohibitively expensive because you've got to go through the licensing process and get yourself a bottle and get it refilled every month. So, yeah, LPG is just the way to go, man.
2: Yeah. All right, well, thanks for the question, Nate. We'll get on to tool time. Tool time. Which is actually quite a funny tool time because it was uh, Nils suggested it for this week. (laughs) Um, Yeah,
0: I know. And
2: then then Sam and I both... Ended up having a, a week to do with them. And a tool of the week is files. Yes. Um, which I just picked up a new set today. I was very excited because they're uh, detail files, basically. Jewelers files. Oh, yeah, you so needle files. It's a very um, comprehensive set, and it's it's like tool porn, you know? You know that sort of thing <laughs> when you're gleefully scurrying home from the hardware store with your new file, you just can't wait to open it? i have already put them to yeah. use, and they're just so handy. Is one of those things i don't know how i got by without them to be honest so i do a lot of jewelry work and detailed work so um having those nice precise little files of all the various shapes there's like 12 different shapes in there and it's just oh, there's a, a file for every job
1: yeah I, I i love my little files i couldn't get by without them as a bladesmith especially making tang slots and stuff like that mm. um and making like a file work on you know spines of knives and on ferrules and stuff like that need you need needle files it's just you can't do without them mm. um, I was actually talking about that on that live stream where I broke that handle off because I made a guard or I made a bolster actually for um, a sax and uh, yeah it was using my needle files you desperately need those if you're gonna be a, a knife maker Um, so actually, has
2: the bigger files too become quite uh uh, necessary on knife work in particular, especially if you are like Sam and I and try your bestest to forge to shape as much Mm. as possible. Uh, because with a a good vice and a set of files, you can forge largely to shape, clean up with files, and have so little grinding left to do that it's just not funny,
1: absolutely. And I mean, even if you're using like your 2 by 72 for your blade. Uh, I actually like to finish my handle shaping with files. Yep, I'm the same. Um, And the main reason for that is because it's really easy with a 2x72 to just kind of slip and, you know, <laughs> run up onto the blade or, you know, dig in with the corner of the belt and, you know, like, put a ni- giant notch in it. Um, it's just way too easy to mess it up. Whereas with files, you know, it's, it's one stroke at a time and you you can kind of check after every every pass until you're close enough that you can go to hand sanding. So yeah, I, I definitely recommend
2: a good set of files. Also and, with uh, second, I, second cut files, you can actually get a remarkably nice finish.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, um, second cut, uh, mil, uh, you know, mill second cut files are fantastic at giving you a surface finish. Um, I'm actually, I actually do a line of knives called the uh, Primal line, which have a file finish on their blades. Um, so, you know, I, I love my file finished, uh, knives, but yeah, so, uh, I actually had several people contact me this week, right after Nils suggested that we talk about files on the show, uh, asking me what I believe the best brand of files were and where to get them. Uh, and there are two that come to mind. Oh, Actually three, there are three that come to mind. Uh, I only own one of the, the three brands, but I have used the other two. Uh, and the, the the brand that I own is Barco. Now Barco make a lot of like tree lopping equipment and saws and stuff like that, and axes. Um, but they also make the most fantastic files. I love their files. Um, I was gifted a set uh, from Nathan, one of my per, uh, Patreons. He sent me a, a set a, th- a set of three. ARCO files, a bastard, a bastard file, a second cut, and a half round bastard. Mm. Um, and a round file, so it's four. Yeah, anyway. Um, but yeah, it, it, they're fantastic. They cut really well and they hold their tooth for a long time. There are a lot of files out there that you can buy that will wear out within an instant. Um, uh, next up on the list would be Pferd, which is P F E R D. <laughs> They're a a German company. Uh, I've heard from reputable sources that they have some of the hardest files in the industry. Uh, I believe it. I haven't tested it myself. I believe it, though, because I have used them, and I've used them to file hardened steel, and they cut through it like butter. Um, They're fantastic files. They're incredibly expensive because you get what you pay for. Um, yeah files is like, one
2: of those tools that you absolutely there's no way around it you get what nah. you pay for you,
1: you need to buy quality <laughs> Yeah.
2: <laughs> and when
1: I say quality modern Nicholson files like a lot of people will stand by Nicholson as a brand
2: yeah, Modern I, Nichol- I was, was going to say that <laughs>
1: <laughs> modern Nicholson's have actually dropped off in quality really badly um, unfortunately I've bought quite a few Nicholson's recently and they've worn out three times as fast as my Barcos. um uh, and then the, uh, the, top, the top tier that, uh, that I have worked with are Valorbay files, or Valorb, Valorb files. Yes, Valorb. I, I know Alec calls them Valorbe. I don't know why. <laughs> it doesn't have an accent on the E at the end. Uh, and that's V A L L O R B E, for those people who are looking for Valorb files. If I'm not mistaken, uh, they...
2: Valorb also make the hardness testing file kits that are very prolific in the industry
1: they very much do they they are the most uh they are most well recognized file maker in the world they're a swiss file company and um they make the most fantastic files i, I <laughs> if i could get any files in the world they would be valid files uh now that's being said you will have to mortgage your house to get a good set <laughs> <sort> of Valob <laughs> files but they are so worth it <laughs> Um, so yeah, those, those are the top three, Barco, Third, and Valor, but there are some reputable brand, brands that are more accessible to people. If you have to, and you want to go for the cheaper brands, Nicholson is probably your best bet. Uh, Nicholson, Wiltshire, you know, Wiltshire in some countries, Nicholson in others, is probably the best of the budget brands of files. They're still not cheap. <laughs> But they're definitely the better of the bunch. Uh, stuff like Trojan and uh, Craftsmaster and Craftrite
2: uh,
1: and Heart. Heart make quite a few files. I thought they were good. They're crap.
2: Uh. <laughs> I will say, though, for the, uh, the absolute beginners, I started with Craftrite and Trojan files. And, yeah, it oh, seems yeah. absolutely right. They choke up. They blunt. They're, they're not great. You know, they even chip on the edges if you drop them. But yeah. they, um, when you're getting started, just buy one of those combination packs of those and you will – one of the things that you need to do if you're going to take blacksmithing seriously is feel the difference and feel yeah. why the good files are worth what they are worth. And get filing because if you want to practice doing file work and doing file finishes and, and file shaping, do it on, learn to do it on cheap files. And then try using the good files and see what, why they're <coughs> worth it. I mean, they have their place as a learning tool, I believe.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and this is the thing. It's not only knife makers that use files. Like, everyday blacksmiths. Yeah, John Switzer, if you watch John Switzer's channel, he's pulling out files nearly every, every uh, episode. Uh, nearly every video he uploads, he pulls the files out for something. Because he's got to dress up a tenon, or he's got to dress up a a little cold shot that he's forged into a hook that he's making. Yeah. You know, in architectural blacksmithing, just as much as knife making, you need to use files in the metalworking workshop. Mm. Uh, we have grinders, yes, we have angle grinders and all that kind of stuff, but sometimes you just cannot beat a good file. And, um, yeah, I actually had an experience. Uh, I bought a set of five of those, you know, the combo sets from the reject shop, which uh,
0: Mm. for those of you in
1: the US, I don't know what the equivalent of that is, like the dollar store, I suppose.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah, but uh, yeah, I I bought a a set of these really cheap files. I think it was like $11 for the five files, but I desperately needed files that day and I couldn't get to the hardware store. So I was like, screw it, I'm gonna buy these and try it. And they actually turned out, they surprised me. They did actually quite well. They did about as well as the $20 files I was buying, like $20 individually, (laughs) $20 per file files that I was buying from my local hardware store. So um, there are, you know, decent files out there for really low prices. But again, it's a perfect learning experience. And uh, being a knife maker, I tend to run into shapes uh, and stuff like that that I need to file that no one makes a file for. (laughs) Like <laughs> yeah. um, when when I'm making um, traditional Scandinavian style knives, they have a triangular shaped um, tang slot. You know, they they don't have the traditional yeah. rectangular. They have a triangular, much like a, a Japanese um, a Japanese katana guard would have. And most of the time, I end up having to grind one side off a file to make it knife shaped, in order to get into that that triangular shaped slot to get that really nice fine point down at the end. So Mm. those really cheap files are perfect for that because you don't care that you have to take a grinder to them. You know, like, I would cry if I bought a set of Valorb Valorb files and had to take a grinder to them to shape them. And
2: file (laughs) modification isn't just relegated to weird uh, file jobs like that. Putting a safe edge on a file that you're going to be doing file-finished bevels, for example, uh, you don't want to actually start running up into the Ricasso or carving in a square edge in there. Um, You know, you want to use a cheaper file for that, potentially, because if you have a nice set of Valorb files, which I just looked up while... Sam was talking about them, the equivalent set of Velorb files of the needle files that I picked up today would have been $580.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Like I said, you're going to have to mortgage your house to get them, but they're bloody worth it.
2: Yeah. So, um, like, if if you had a set of Velorb files, maybe you had gone out of your way to finally pick up a round, half round, and a second cut square Velorb file, and you'd saved up and done this over the course of five years. Um, you don't want to go, hey, I need to just uh, take this to the tuba 72 and, and put on a safe edge. You, you don't, you're not going to do that. So save it for that your cheap files.
1: That being said, our boy Clickspring grinds a safe edge on every one of his files, and he owns nothing but Velord files.
2: Yeah, Clips, Clickspring is a god among men, and <laughs> we do not refer to him by name because it's disrespectful.
1: <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Our lord and savior, ClickSpring. That's uh, right. Yes, he, he takes a grinder to his Valorb
2: files. Uh, God, save him. <laughs> Cl- ClickSpring is so good, he makes his own files. So let's just... Well, this, is, uh, this is also true. Let's just have a moment of respect for that man.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's, it, it is very much a, a thing where uh, you, you do get what you pay for. Um, But yeah, there are some affordable options out there. If you're going to buy Nicholson, try and buy Nicholson uh, from Brazil. Uh, The Nicholson Brazil files tend to be a bit better than the uh, Nicholson
2: India and Nicholson Thailand uh, files I found. And while we're Uh, talking about files, I have a a, a question to put to the listeners. Because I like to work with scavenged materials and one of the best scavenged materials for for blades is old files uh, back where that were all, you know, all not case hardened, but all W2 or W1. And I've found a brand of file, which is magnificent. I've made a couple of blades out of it now, and they are some of the best, hardest edge retention blades I have ever had in my life, but I don't recognize the symbol on them. It's a little flower. It looks like a sunflower. And frost. Is it frost? Yeah, it's frost. But I brought, I brought this up with you and you didn't say so. You, said oh, you I you, you said already you, knew. You said you didn't know what it was.
1: No, no, it's a frost. I've got a frost on my, on my shelf.
2: They are fantastic.
1: They are. They're terrific. And they are the exception to the rule. Now, I've spoken about Indian files before. Mm. Um, and it's only because there are a lot of uh, Indian manufacturers out there that are making bulk files and hammers and all that kind of stuff. And they don't throw a maker's mark on them. They don't mark them in any way. They just sell them bulk. <laughs> right. And a lot, of the, a lot of the time, another company will pick them up and, and mark them themselves. Um, you know, one of those things. Uh, but yeah, no, Frost are made in Indi- India, but they are of the highest quality.
2: Well, I haven't been um, using it to actually do filing with. I've been using them to forge into <laughs> blades because ph- what is that? phenomenal only- steel.
1: The only the only frost cutlery, uh, frost, not frost cutlery, frost cutlery is a different company, but the only frost file I have is an antique and uh, I'm going to be turning it into a knife at some point. (laughs)
2: Yeah, all all of mine seem pretty antique. They are very old, but uh, I've managed to find a, a good dozen or so of them and they will all be becoming blades because they turn into the most remarkable knife steel. It's incredible.
1: I haven't looked it up, but I don't even know if they still make files, uh, you know, or if they went out of business a number of years ago, because I've come across quite a few frost files, but I've never come across a new one.
2: Well, ever since using them, I'm going to be keeping a very close eye uh, out for more of them, because if, there's a li- if there is indeed a limited quantity of them, I want to get as many of them as I can.
1: Yeah, actually, if you go on eBay and look up uh, Nicholson new old stock, uh, sometimes you can find the old style Nicholsons that were made in the USA. Um, still brand new in their packages that you can right. buy from eBay sellers and they are like top notch. Mm. Um, actually Nick Wheeler, the, my inspiration for last week, mm. um, he actually recommends new old stock Nicholson's. Mm. Uh, that's mostly what he uses. So, um, and he uses files all the time. Right. Um, so we've kind of prattled on a bit and, uh, we're running up on, on the hour. Do we want to continue with our, uh, topic of the week and just make this an hour and a half? Well, the topic episode? of
2: the, the topic of the week doesn't really involve deep discussion. It's more of a, uh, you can, we can, we can blow through in the next 15 minutes.
1: it's a bit of a bit of a fun topic
2: it's something that any blacksmith that's been doing it for a while hears. there are some weird things that blacksmiths sometimes do in the forge or can be seen doing that make you think Mm. if you're not really in deeply into blacksmithing yourself you might think is that normal and we're (laughs) and we're here to tell you yes it is So some of the things that we thought we'd bring up, we may as well go into the why, because not only are these weird, weird things that you may see people doing normal in a blacksmithing forge, but also very, very practical. Yes, there are reasons for it. Yeah, so the first one is sometimes you see a blacksmith hitting his anvil between blows when he's working his steel.
1: Resting his hand most of the time.
2: Or keeping the tempo. One reason I do it is because if I'm working the forge, it keeps my hand busy, keeps the, the hammer moving while I'm examining my work and seeing hmm. where the next strike needs to land. It gives me my eye Absolutely. a little bit of time to rest, but I don't have to lose the rhythm.
1: If you check out last Friday's video, uh, and I'm talking about last Friday from when this upload goes out, um, you will see me tap the anvil quite vigorously while I'm working on uh, the leaf that I'm making. Cause I, I did a, uh, I did a video on forging a leaf in two heats. Um, so, you know, I had to work really fast, but even then I had to kind of, you know, keep the hammer off the piece for a minute to have a look at it. And yeah, it, it's just natural to let that hammer bounce off the anvil a couple of times. Yeah. Um, it also helps on the retrieval. Cause you know, if I just, laid the hammer on the anvil and then picked it all the way up. It actually is harder than just dropping the hammer on the anvil and letting the rebound take my hand up.
2: And when you are particularly focused on your work, finding a rhythm of your hammer is very important. It, it keeps your focus. It keeps the muscle memory going in your shoulder. It's, it's a, a very p- powerful tool to actually be able to do. So those little taps, it may seem counterproductive to be hammering on your anvil, but there is definitely a functional purpose. And
1: and most of the time it's completely unconscious. Like (laughs) people who start blacksmithing and they've never seen blacksmith before and they'll tap the anvil just naturally, Mm. you know, because it just seems to be the natural thing to do for people.
2: Sam plays tunes. I do. (laughs) I'm a very musical man. (laughs) All right. So the next thing that you may see, um, don't be alarmed if you are watching somebody blacksmith and they put down their hammer and they pick up a baseball bat. It it is a genuine thing to actually use a mallet, a wooden mallet, or a baseball bat, or just a big club uh, in place of a hammer in lieu of a hammer, Uh, because Mm. what you are doing when hitting something with uh, hitting steel, hot steel with wood, is forming it and bending it and flattening it out, but not marring the surface or denting. it. you're not you're not not deforming the.
1: Yeah, you're not deforming the material. You're just bending it or you know moving it.
2: I do this almost weekly because I do a lot of decorative iron work, which involves twists. And when you do a twist, it's very hard to do a twist without, uh, especially in a longer piece, without bending the the, the stock uh, one way Mm. or the other. And if you need it to be straight, you need to straighten it back out again. But if you were to then put it on the face of your anvil and start hitting it with a hammer, you will deform the twist that you just did. Whacking whacking it with a mallet, it doesn't do it. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's it. I mean, I, I often, when I'm doing twists, like in my twisted bottle openers, which I sell through my Etsy page, um, I often will put a piece of wood on my anvil face and then hit on the piece with a wooden mallet on the wood so that neither the anvil nor the hammer are going to affect the, the
2: twist. And that actually, uh, takes us, clean. that actually takes me to the third thing is to use a wooden anvil or, as Sam said, putting a block of wood on the anvil. There is... Uh, that is one uh, very good reason for it. Another that I actually often do—I do a lot of cutlery work—and bowling spoons is yeah, very, spoons. <laughs> very easy to do without any sort of swage, just by hammering it while hot, and uh, you know, use the ball end of a ball peen hammer, for example, into a piece of pine. And the pine, yeah, is, absolutely, it creates beautiful, neat, even spoon bowls in a very, very yeah. quick. Uh, one heat, you can have a perfectly formed spoon bowl.
1: No need to no need to pre-cut out a spoon-shaped hole in it or anything. Just yeah. flat piece of pine, hammer the
2: hot steel into it, and it'll deform for you. It's also a really good way to get ooze from any crowd watching you because the fl- uh, the wood does burst into <laughs> flame, and you just hammer through the flame as if it's not there. It's very impressive to watch. Yeah, yeah, you look very manly. Just don't burn your beard off. Mm. And a past guest of ours, Roy Adams, actually has a whole episode on the importance of having a dishing stump in the forge. <clears throat> and uh, I agree with him 100%. It's a very useful tool.
1: Especially if you're interested in making stuff like armor or, um, you know, like trivets and, and stuff like that. Oh, it's not trivets. Um, frying pans and stuff like that. Mm. If you want to dish large material, you're going to want a, a stump with a hollow, with a, with a slightly hollowed top. Uh, to do your dishing in, whether you do it cold or hot, uh, that that wood isn't going to mar the material on the outside, which means it's going to save you a lot of time in polishing afterwards. Yeah. Because <laughs> if you do it if you do it in a steel form, then you're almost always going to get lipping and uh, damage from the edges of your swage. So, That's right. And, yeah, and swage blocks so are better.
2: notorious for doing this to to pieces of steel if you're not careful with mm. it. Um, and and one thing to remember is if you're going to be forming the dish. Um, Like I was saying with the spoon, you want to be hammering hot into a soft wood. If you are pre-form, if you are forming a bowl, for example, in a dished, pre-dished stump, you will kind of want it to be hardwood.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can use an arbor on a a grinder, like the
2: arbor discs that mm. look like chainsaw discs Uh on an angle grinder. (laughs) Otherwise known as the most dangerous tool ever invented.
1: Yeah, but they're also really useful for making bowl-shaped dishes in the tops of stumps.
2: I can't can't talk. If anyone's ever seen me using a chainsaw, I have no right to talk about tool safety. Uh,
1: You and me both. Yeah.
2: Um, Yeah, um, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. So the next strange thing that you might see a blacksmith doing is not hitting uh, steel with the face of the hammer or the tail of the hammer, but instead with the side of the hammer. They may turn their hammer 90 degrees and hit it side on. And a mm. common uh, reason that I've seen is actually Niels Vandenberg, uh one of my favorite bladesmiths, uh, does this a lot. When a uh, spine of a knife needs to be straightened out, he will place it, uh, the, the knife against the anvil and then turn his hammer 90 degrees and whoop, right, hit the spine and out straightens yep. it. It's, it's a great way to do it. it. Obviously, it requires a very specific pattern of hammer to do it. It's yes. a very useful thing to do. And you can use straighten any kind of ironwork by doing this.
1: Absolutely. And it's just it's just a matter of increasing the surface area that's contacting the steel, you Mm. know, because the smaller the surface area, the the more likely you are to deform that piece. It's much like hitting it with a wooden mallet. Yes. Um, You know, one of the things we didn't cover with that in bladesmithing is, you know, if you've got a blade that's developed that banana curve from um, from forging the bevels, you can put the spine on the anvil and smack the edge with a wooden mallet and um, straighten it back out. and You won't put dents in your edge. Um, and you know, even though the edge does crumple a little bit, you can forge those back into themselves and that you can straighten your knife out that way. Or so another, yeah, it's,
2: it's my- another way you can straighten a knife out is actually the final thing that I wanted to point out, which is a very odd thing you may see a blacksmith doing. Um, Sam is a big fan of doing this. I'm a big fan of doing this. And I actually had a few people ask me about it because it was in my latest video. Um, and it is known as the spinal tap method. And
1: <laughs> yeah, I call, I call it the spinal tap. Some people call it whack forging.
2: I've never heard uh,
1: that one. <laughs> yeah, Jared, Jared Russell, one of my top Patreon, uh, likes to call it whack forging.
2: <laughs> well, uh, yeah. oftentimes you'll, you its very common to see a bladesmith uh, weld a their the, the knife steel billet to the end of a piece of rebar or some ten mil round or something like that, so they have a nice handy handle to hold onto it. And as Sam said, when you're forging, hand forging bevels rather than doing stock removal bevels, it, you do end up sometimes, if you haven't planned for it properly, getting a bit of a banana curve that you don't want there. And you may not want a scimitar, you may want something that's a bit more like a pocket knife. <laughs> and so what you do is you hold it out at arm's length, get the steel nice and hot, and you whack it spine first against <laughs> the anvil as if the billet is indeed your hammer.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs>
2: And it is a very effective way to straighten it out.
1: It's a fantastically easy way. And it's also fun. (laughs)
2: <laughs> it gets the really curious looks from people watching. They, uh, uh, the amount of people that see it happen and think, is, is he supposed to be doing that? Is he just frustrated with the knife? What's yeah. going on?
1: Yeah, be, just be very sure that your welds between the knife blank and your rebar handle or whatever handle you've got are good. because I, I, you... I
2: can agree with Sam 100% on this, although I'm not game to admit why I agree yeah. so strongly.
1: <laughs> I've never had it happen, but I know that it's a potential that if, you know... Your weld isn't good. It's going to fly across the room and hit something. You
2: know what's more Um, dangerous than a red hot knife billet? A fast moving (laughs) spinning red hot knife billet. Aimed at your face. Yeah,
1: Yeah, so the the spinal tap is a really good way to straighten out knives. It's also a fantastic way to bend things. Uh, I've seen uh, architectural blacksmiths use the same method, similar method, to bend large stock ironwork around the horn is they'll heat up the section of material they want to bend literally just take it over their heads and whack it over the horn and let the inertia of that you know the end of the bar wrap itself around the horn and bend it
2: or especially when you talk or as dan moss would describe it the i don't have a turning hammer in my collection whack (laughs) exactly (laughs)
1: uh especially especially you know if you're talking about a, a you know a meter and a half long bar of 25 mil round, you know, inch round. Oh, yeah. Uh, And You want to put a bend in that. Uh, No hammer in the world. You can't finagle your arms to get the right angle to get that bent with a hammer. That's right. Whereas, you know, just laying that thing on the horn of the anvil and giving it a whack is going to get you your bend.
2: You you heard it right here, folks. Jet fuel can melt steel beams. (laughs) It can't melt them, but it can soften
1: them. (laughs) That's right. Trenton, Trenton Tye from, Ty
2: um, Iron-
1: <laughs> Ty from Purgatory Ironworks did a video on uh, the 9-11 Jet Fuel Can't Melt Steel Beams meme thing. He got very upset about that.
2: I loved <laughs> his follow-up about the Game of Thrones finale.
0: <laughs> Dragonfire Can't
2: Melt Steel beams. That was great. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yep. Love it. But uh, yeah, there. I mean, we would like to know what, what odd things have you seen blacksmiths doing that you haven't known what it is they're actually trying to achieve with that odd uh, odd action. Uh, write it and tell us or comment if you're following us on Instagram, comment down below. You may have seen, I mean, most of you listening are beginners, which is fantastic from our perspective. And I imagine if you're a beginner, you're watching a lot of YouTube videos and you may have seen some weird stuff going on, especially if you watch Sam and I. So. <laughs> yeah, so
1: link, link it to us, seriously. Send us a link and we'll watch the video or look at the photo or whatever you've got and we'll uh, give you some explanations or maybe just you know, kind of explore what they're trying to do even if we don't know ourselves. Yeah, Because I mean, sometimes you come across techniques that you just don't, like, have never seen before.
2: Yeah, I have actually watched some things, have come across things, contacted Sam and thought, I have no idea what this guy's doing. What, what's he doing? And Sam's like, I think he's just weird. <laughs> sometimes people are just weird
1: yes it, it is very true there are some people out there who just do some things that there is no reason to do them
2: nope, no reason whatsoever <laughs> it's just, just why
1: yep. uh, but anyway guys with that being said we're now well past the hour mark uh, we hope you enjoyed listening to Alex and I ramble on for all of this time uh, if you would like to uh, ask us questions or say hello, or <clears throat> link us some really funny blacksmithing techniques that you've seen, uh, please feel free to send them to us at ask.forgecast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram at the.forgecast, uh, and you can also you know comment to us or DM us uh, links from there. Mm. If you want to find Alex, you can find him at...
2: I go by Valhalla Ironworks, which you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Etsy. If you would like to find Sam, you can find him. You can
1: find me at Samtown's Bladesmith on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Etsy, Patreon, and the Kitchen Sink. Uh, you can also find our friend Niels Oogren, or Niels Ogren. Uh um, or Ugrun, or however else you want to pronounce it, because we never get it right. Um, at his name uh, on Instagram, YouTube, uh, and Facebook, I believe, as well. So make sure to go check him out. He will be back with us next week, hopefully. And we've got some really cool interviews coming up. So
2: stay tuned for those. Including one very familiar face. Indeed. Which we're we have very excited about.
1: We have a repeat offender. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, guys, you have a fantastic week. We shall speak to
2: you next week. All right. See you guys. Bye.